right. All right. Troy, we're back. We're back. Hopefully people are listening twice. <laughs> we're back. Welcome welcome to You'll Only Listen Twice, our Bond retrospective. We are on the second film for our marathon, if you say. Uh, I'm Jake. I'm Troy. And yeah, this week it's Dr. No. Last week we had a very miserable slog known as Casino Royale, <laughs> which was Troy's fir- very first time <laughs> watching it. Troy and I kind of had similar things. I think you liked it more than me, probably. I mean, I I liked it for what it was. Uh, a 1950s TV show. I, I'd still give it two stars. Like, <laughs> that doesn't mean it was necessarily good. Exactly. And it's just kind of there. And now we're on to Dr. No. The first real movie. The first real movie. 1962's... Uh, would you consider this movie groundbreaking? I I would in certain respects. In some respects, it's very similar to other film series of the time. Yeah. But as I'll point to you later, there's stuff in this movie that got stolen from Marvel Comics to Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember the, 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 the Die Hard thing you were telling me yesterday. But actually, fun fact that this was a DC comic. Uh, DC Comics did an adaptation of it uh, for I think it was like Showcase or something. Mm-hmm. And Showcase, you're correct. So it was a movie tie-in. It was so, and there's also it's not affiliated with the comic strip version of Doctor No. Or was <laughs> it the same thing? Was it republished? I don't. I don't know. Actually, no, it wasn't because it was. I don't it was based on the movie, probably, I think. Yeah, and the James Bond comic strip adapted a couple James Bond movies to it, not just Dr. No. No, 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 so no. Unless... It didn't, it didn't, the, the comic strip wasn't adapting the movies, they were adapting the books. I have, um, I have the Dr. Yeah. No one, and it comes with, like, a couple other ones, like Diamonds Are Forever and stuff like that, oh. which are not like the movie, but we'll get to, we'll get to those. <laughs> now, now on the Dr. No, Troy. It was your second time watching it, right? It was my second time watching Dr. No. Dr. No was the first James Bond movie I ever saw as part of a Letterboxd challenge. Uh, Follow and subscribe on Letterboxd if you do, Troy Peterson. Uh, And I watched Dr. No as part of a Letterboxd challenge in our college library in 2015. And it was my first James Bond movie. But now this is my second time watching it after seeing a couple more James Bond movies. And my opinion is the same. It is above average. That is a very fair point to to make. Um, it wasn't the first Bond movie I've ever seen. I said in the last episode, it's Thunderball, but we'll get to that. Dr. No is though like one of the ones I've seen the most and it's in my top 10 favorite Ooh. ones. It is painfully kind of average at times. I have to admit, even as a Bond fan, <laughs> it's like it's like a movie that has like glimmers of brilliance, you know, because you have mm-hmm. the introduction of James Bond, which is like the most iconic character introduction in all of film. You got the gun barrel, you got the James Bond theme that plays at inappropriate times. <laughs> <laughs> you got um, you got the Ken Adams. I think that what really sets it apart is like the last point in the movie once they reach the lair it's like i think the beginning is really good like that makes it like intense sean connery's performance and the 
once they get to Dr. No, once they get to Crab Key at the very end, because the thing that like kind of pushes it over the edge of like kind of like a mediocre action movie from the time to like something new is those is the design of Dr. No's lair with uh, the stolen painting that do you know did you did you know about that stolen painting you know the part where bond like is walking to the dinner table and the, it's like the painting is like what do you remember that part yes i was just reading i was reading about this online last night so for those of you who haven't seen dr no or have there's a scene where watch James bond is yeah you should probably watch it before this podcast we may only get to a plot summary in the next 50 minutes but uh, what will, uh, James Bond is in Dr. No's uh, lair of everything he's stolen. And he sees this painting that's of the Duke of Wellington by Goya that had been stolen around the release of the movie. Mm-hmm. And there was an international manhunt for it. And they couldn't find it. So that's a great gag for people in the 60s. I think they said preview audiences spent 30 seconds laughing at it. Like... People in 1962 thought it was hilarious, but now when you're watching the movie and you don't know now because there's a music sting and everything, (laughs) (laughs) it's just like dun dun dun, and you're just like, what? (laughs) That's a painting, all right. Yes, yes, it is. James Bond likes art. Should should we do a plot? uh, Yeah, let's do. We could do a plot summary. You, You were saying that we we might just get to the plot summary. Um, shall we I'm gonna have you do it because I've seen the movie I I feel like I could have like just not watched the movie because it's kind of burned into my brain at this point (laughs) it's like one of the few Bond movies where Mm -hmm. I pretty much know every single scene inside and out uh, Mm -hmm. because I've just I've seen it like at least a hundred times in my life but uh troy <laughs> do you want to describe the plot of uh of dr no all right this is the plot of the movie from what i understand it so at the beginning of the movie three blind mice played assassins <laughs> pretending to be homeless people are targeting top members of british government in jamaica or something well just this uh, is tied to it's just um strangways and his secretary that Professor Dent okay. really likes, which is a very bizarre scene that like is supposed to be like how Bond figures out he's bad. Spoilers! Spoilers on Professor Dent, that immortal cinematic henchman, of the bet Virginia. one of the greatest cinematic henchmen. Actually, no, <laughs> he he would he go on to spider. be the body double of Blofeld in From Rush with Love and Thunderbolt. So, the actor. Well, that's a broccoli tradition. The broccoli family who produces these movies of just they reusing. will frequently promote people to Blofeld from previous movies who are clearly dead, and then they're like, "Time for you to play Blofeld." But Blofeld, the head of Spectre, does not appear in this movie. <laughs> are you trying to give an explanation for Charles Gray, the best Blofeld? Hot yeah. take. Hot take. Charles Gray, <laughs> best Blofeld. I just became like a douchebag YouTuber for a second. I mean, I already feel like a douchebag YouTuber because I'm wearing like a wearing a hat that says world domination from the triple X thing I went to like oh. years ago. <laughs> I bet it's spy themed, oh. but I'm I'm slowly becoming a douchebag. 
I'm wearing a 1977 Star Wars shirt, so I retain my integrity <laughs> against all odds. Um, anyway, back to the summary. Back to the summary. So, uh, there is someone is using some sort of radioactive transfrequency to throw American nuclear missiles off the charts. So James Bond is called away from a card game where he is about to fulfill a very long-term stable relationship with a woman named Sylvia Trench to go to Jamaica to figure out what's going on and why Strange Ways was killed and if there's a connection between all these things. So he goes to Jamaica and he does nothing for 40 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> no, he investigates. He puts a he takes one of his balding hairs out and then he puts it on a closet and he goes like someone broke in. That he does something. <laughs> this movie is James Bond, the world's greatest detective. He actually like interviews witnesses, collects data from sources. Like Drinks. he is a working professional secret agent in this film. Yeah, the early ones actually show him like do investigative shit, which is which is funny. And this one probably the most obvious because there's there's not a lot of action besides the the very first bond action scene when he fights the driver that that eats his cigarette yes which is which is a good, <laughs> which uh he bond punches him so hard that he starts bleeding on the opposite side of his face oh yeah I know <laughs> what happened there but, the, but uh but that's just how tough sean connery is oh sean connery oh i was saying that's how tough sean connery is because he punched him so hard that the guy was bleeding on the other side of his face what a badass. Well, we need to get to Connery right after the summary, but Connery basically got the role for being too tough for a Disney movie. Like, he was <laughs> so tough in a Disney children's film that the Broccoli's were like, he's James Bond. Well, specifically, I think they had a recommendation for him from somebody they knew, and then they watched Darby O'Gill and the Little People out of all movies. To where he is a he is the most Scottish. This is uh, Sean Connery's first role as the most Scottish Irishman ever. The, a role that he would win an Oscar for in The Untouchables. <laughs> uh, that, that's a good one. Yeah, he's just a guy trying to marry your daughter. And there's a scene. He gets a singing number in Darby O'Gill, which clearly inspired the singing scene in Dr. No with the immortal hit Under the Mango Tree. But there's a yep. scene at the end of Darby O'Gill where Sean Connery has to fight the guy who's been picking on his father-in-law the whole movie. And he hits him so hard in a bar fight in this lovable children's Disney movie. He beats him up so hard they have to cut away to Darby O'Gill just reacting to how badly Sean Connery is wiping the floor with him. That is Which true. is ironic because his stunt doubles do most of the fighting in the James Bond movie. But... <laughs> Connery does a good amount of uh, fighting. He just can't do spiders. Connery's not on the level of more of like not doing stunts. Like he does a fair amount of them. Like I, or at least like he can do more than more. No pun intended, but more than more than more. The Connery that th that should be his memoirs. More than more. He's younger than. True. <laughs> he started out as a bodybuilder. He was a... Yeah. 
wasn't wasn't he, was he, he wasn't in competition for Mr. Universe or was he or some he was in some bodybuilding competition. Yeah, he started off as bodybuilder and a model. Yeah. Um, and a truck but, driver. Yeah, and truck driver. He was a manly man who went into acting right as his hair was starting to go. And <laughs> no, he became James he, Bond as his hair was going. But in Dr. No, it's his real hair. Because his hair gets like... Yeah. Only in Dr. No and From Rush With Love does his hair get messed up. But then all the other ones, you could tell when it's a, when it's a wig or, or when it's a toupee and when it's his <laughs> hair by the amount of times it gets messed up and <laughs> but he was actually very uh very brave about going bald he actually preferred not wearing a toupee he would always like he did surprisingly not vain about his appearance yes it just i think with bond he just had to wear the toupee because the whole image of bond is the masculine virile walking british imperialist who has to explain science yeah. to everyone stupider than the guys there's no such (laughs) there's no such thing as dragons (laughs) oh my god we got to get to that part but anyway we we need to keep we need to keep going uh through the do we need to keep going through the summary or basically he has to investigate we we he has to go investigate crab key he finds out everything that's going on on the island is connected to crab key with his friend well his assistant coral and he goes to the island and he finds this woman in a bikini with the intelligence of an eight-year-old. And then in the last 20 minutes of the movie, they go into this really cool secret lair and they finally meet Dr. No and he gives them dinner and they reward him for giving him dinner by murdering him and destroying his secret lair. And then they have sex in a boat, him and the woman with the intelligence. <laughs> well, they choose to, to get stranded in the middle of uh, the Caribbean on a boat so they can bang, basically. Yes. Um, well, that- to be fair comes to get them yeah no that's no that's what i'm saying is that the government comes to get them but they choose to just get stranded in the boat and so you're left wondering is bond dead (laughs) for the rest of the movie because he (laughs) it's like the end he just chose to be like shipwrecked (laughs) in the middle of the caribbean (laughs) to be fair the credits don't say james bond will return and from russia with love so i don't know Originally, when they were casting the movie, they wanted Cary Grant to play James Bond because they kind of saw the James Bond movies as being North by Northwest, the series. Yeah. But Cary Grant said he wouldn't do any sequels. So you'd only do one movie. Yeah. And then they also asked James Mason, another North by Northwest Mm. alum, uh, Captain (laughs) Nemo himself. He was going to do, he said that he would be down, but only for two movies or something. I think (laughs) he's just like, and then they asked Martin Landau and he said he'd only be down for three movies. (laughs) And so they asked Sean Connery and he's like, I wasn't even in North by Northwest. What are you doing? (laughs) Even Marie Saint was somewhere along the line too. Even Marie Saint would only do 24 movies, yeah, but she wouldn't sign on to the 25th. So they said very, no very insistent about that. So <laughs> they're like, this is a 25 film series. You don't have time to die before you make no time <laughs> to die. <laughs> the series will never die. Dun-dun-dun. Uh, we'll see. What?
was going to say, even at the beginning, you kind of see what why Bond has the appeal to live forever mm-hmm. and also why it's very hard for this franchise to go on forever. Because on one hand, you have the exciting layers, the action, yeah. the world traveling, all the great characters. But then on the other hand, like the beginning of the movie is literally poor, homeless people of Jamaica killing rich white people in their homes and at their country clubs. So from the very beginning, the series is kind of saying, oh, no, the rich white people, they are being threatened. Quick, send Bond with his good gun. He needs to shoot them with the good gun. We got letters about his gun. <laughs> we and... got... <laughs> I, I read you the passage that one time in the in the book, how just how worried, <laughs> just how bad it was in the book, like the descriptions. Yeah, the books which are, I'm not going to go into here. The books are but yes, yeah, it's just like so they oh do my limit goodness. that. What did you? I remember we were talking about the character of Quarrel, yes, who is kind of an interesting character type. He is Bond's assistant ally who works ally. with him. It's like the, the tradition of Bond, of like the. Well, he gets two allies in this because he meets up with Felix, who wasn't in the book. But he also yes. gets to meet up with Coral, who is supposed to be uh, a CIA agent uh, and like fisherman and stuff. But like, for some reason, he believes in dragons. And that drove me crazy. Yeah. Like, even when I was a kid, I'm just like, why the fuck? If he's like a fucking CIA agent, why would he buy into this bullshit other than like, I'm like, is this just like a weird racist shit like what the fuck is this like that's the character of coral honey rider our main woman like real love interest also believes in dragon that is and there's a solid seven to eight minute chunk of this movie where james bond the strong british man good at card games and has an uptown apartment has to explain to a woman and a black man that dragons aren't real (laughs) And it's like, why Why is this so long? Why and is also, such a big part of this? And also, when they fight the dragon, it's just like, it's just a truck. And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> it's just a tank. And then, and like, then, uh, Coral just stands in one place. And then just is, like, I think he just <laughs> wanted to just... I think he was just done. He's just like, you know what, fuck this. He became radioactive on that island. He knew that he would... The, the rest of his life would just be... He'd be riddled with cancer or something that's the only thing that makes sense for why he doesn't move because <laughs> the, the it's not a particularly fast moving dragon uh tank it's like it, it it's just like slowly coming at him and shooting fire and he just is like you know what i'm just gonna burn to death i guess it <laughs> he's so embarrassed at believing in dragons that yes. once he saw it was a tank up close he didn't know what to do because he's like how can i live with myself I'm that embarrassed at believing in dragons. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I like the character. I just, I don't like that. I don't like how he like, yeah, there are dragons. Yeah. I, that drives me nuts. That seriously, <laughs> that, that always drove me nuts. He's definitely a subservient to Bond, not an equal to Bond like the other white characters are. Except for Honey Rider, who is dumb. Oh. but uh <laughs> no but she but she knows that like uh she knows that uh freaking praying mantises eat their children so she knows more things than bond 
What's the line where James Bond goes, dragons aren't real? What does she tell him? Have you ever seen uh, a praying mantis eat his lover to death as they're making love or something like that? And he's just like, no, I haven't. Yeah, well, I have. The third one. What? <laughs> it's like a third line. There's like one about like tigers jumping through trees or something. Like it's just bizarre animal yeah. metaphors that have nothing to do with dragons. But she knows those things, so... She is set up. Honey Rider is the first, depending on how you count as Bond girls, there are about maybe four Bond girls in this movie. Yes. But the iconic one in the main Bond girl of the movie is Honey Honey Rider. Rider. Rider what? Honey Rider. Who sounds suspiciously like Sylvia Trench at the very beginning of the movie. Trench. Sylvia Trench. <laughs> every woman in the movie is dubbed by the same person except for miss taro i think is the same woman yes nikki vandersill was her name who also i think did the singing voice in my fair lady of, uh, audrey hepburn i could be wrong but i think that's what no was... no no that was marnie nixon oh crap marnie right. nixon did my fair lady king and i and maybe even west side story i think she did west side story too oh then who the who the hell did she do? Like, but I thought I saw Nikki Vandersol <laughs> did something else. Like, did like a singing voice in some musical. And I'm just getting them confused. I don't know. Let's go back to the beginning really quick. Let's talk about Sylvia Trench. Yeah. Let's... Sylvia Trench is a very little known Bond character. Yes. Which Jake will now explain. Well, Sylvia Trench is basically uh, Bond's like girlfriend like at the beginning she was meant to be in the beginning he's going on dates and hooking up with her and that's like his that's like his steady girlfriend and then the rest are like his like he uh the rest of the bond girl but she was meant to be like the the reoccurring one like the one that will would like more i don't know what's the word to describe it uh domesticate bond i guess but she only appeared in two movies. Like, um, yes. She is at the beginning of Dr. No and from Russia with Love. Yeah. They they and... meet for the first time at the beginning of Dr. No. She's the one who asks him his name and he goes, Bond, James Bond, cigarette. And then from Russia with Love, they're on a date. And then she disappears. They're on a date. Uh, they're on a but... picnic. And she's like, where were you in Jamaica? What were you doing there? I haven't seen you in months. <laughs> And then, like, she's, like, trying to unbutton his shirt, and he just goes, like, Psh! I'm just, like, jeez. <laughs> and, like, um... I don't like you! He's, like, smack... He's, like, getting her head. She's, like, trying to, like, rip off his shirt and shit. <laughs> and then, like, uh, Money Penny's just, like, you need to come uh, to the office, and she, he's just, like, I'll be there in a bit. Well, we'll get some from Rush with Love. And we... Uh, I digress, yeah. but, uh... I, I believe... I should have written this down, but I think Eunice... Gason. Eunice Gason. Yeah. She does a good job. But yeah. here's an interesting fun fact. And her her voice here, is in the here's trailer. An interesting fun fact. I don't know why she's dubbed. Oh wait, what? Yes. Okay, so Lois Maxwell. Lois Maxwell, Miss Moneypenny, she had the choice between playing Sylvia Trench or Miss Moneypenny. And because Sylvia Trench has implied nudity from her back. Lois Maxwell picked Money Penny to play 
-hmm. And part of me is curious, like, what that would have meant if Lois Maxwell had chosen to play Sylvia Trench instead. Would she have become more important than Money Penny, you think, to the series? I don't know, because I still think that, like, the idea of giving Bond, like, a girlfriend for back home is just kind of odd, you know? And it makes him seem like more of a scumball than he already is. Yeah, and exactly. It's just like, <laughs> I guess they were trying to think like, well, he needs to have at least, like, he needs to have like a double life or something. And I'm just like, why? His job is basically to travel the globe, stop bad guys, kill people and meet beautiful women and stuff. Why do you need like, like a steady <laughs> romantic interest? You know, like it's just kind of yeah. odd. I, like all of all of Bond's romances should just end in tragedy. <laughs> he left Money uh, Rider out in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> he decided to swim towards uh, Felix's boat at the end, but we didn't get to see that. And Honey Rider's just like, oh shit. Underneath the mango tree, my lovely But. Oh, anyway, what I was saying about Eunice Gase. So she, her voice is actually in the trailer to Dr. No. And I don't know why she was dubbed. Uh, I guess like it was too, they wanted to get like a more like, she she has kind of a high British act. Like, I decided to accept your invitation. Kind of, I think they wanted more of that. I decided to accept your invitation. But I don't know. I don't, I don't get why. I can only yeah, speculate, I, but like her voice sounded fine. And, and it's even weirder because, uh, honey Ryder and, and, uh, Sylvia trench sound the exact same. So it's just like, what? <laughs> it's just, it's a very, it's a very odd choice that I don't know if we'll ever get the answers to, unless I do a deep dive into, into like Q and A's with Albert R. Broccoli or, why am I Terrence Young? Terrence Young. I keep forgetting. Yeah, the director of the film, Terrence Young. Speaking of which, how is the... How, yeah, no. Yeah, let's talk about Terrence Young as a director of Bond. Uh, what do you think? Besides, I know you just said good, but... I think he defined the series. He did only three movies, correct? Dr. No, From Russia With Love, and Thunderball. I believe so, yeah. Yes. Those are the only three of his movies I've seen. And I think he does a good job, but I think for better or worse, he just establishes the formula for the series. Mm -hmm. I'm not as hot on from Russia with love and Thunderball as I know a lot of James Bond fans are. And I feel that part of it is Terrence Young kind of has a laid back style where he just kind of lets the movie happen, go where it goes. Like, you never really feel like it's building to something, but the individual scenes yeah. aren't bad. Like, he's fine. I would say he makes he's an okay director based on these films. The formula there here are is like great. There are, like, moments of brilliance, I think, like, in his directing. But, like, most of the movie is just kind of... It's shot fine. Like, it looks... Like, it's well... It's lit. Um, the only really interesting, like, things are... You know, like the the opening titles and the gun barrel and then the introduction of James Bond. I think the scene where Professor Dent gets the spider from Dr. No is really well done. Uh, yeah, that's really well done. 
I like the I like the spider scene. Um, I think that's that's good, even though the music makes it a little. But we'll get to Monty Norman soon. Yeah, like all the stuff in the lair is like pretty well done. But yeah, I would say I, I agree. Like he's kind of he's kind of just okay. Like I think once Guy Hamilton comes in, Guy Hamilton was able to get like the you know like the back and forth relationship with like Q and like you know fleshed out a little bit more of Bond's personality and stuff. But like. Terrence uh, Young definitely had like the building blocks there to set up the coolness and the sophistication of him, I guess. But yeah, like most mm-hmm. of the movie just kind of looks like just kind of bland, <laughs> kind of. If <laughs> and I like the movie still. Just being, I'm being a pretentious film nerd because that's my degree. That's our degrees. We got to have degrees in this. I love this movie. <laughs> Send send your hate mail if you're upset of like saying Terrence Young didn't direct the movies well to I don't give a shit jamesbond007.org.com at google images our official podcast email (laughs) so talked about the Bond girls oh wait we didn't talk about Miss Tarot at all Uh, the other we didn't really talk about Miss Tarot or Honey Rider in depth Miss Tarot's a very strange Bond girl. She's she's a femme fatale. She's a femme fatale. Bond's way of getting her arrested is tricking her into having a marathon sex session with him. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like just another day. Well, in the no, office. she tries to have him. She traps. She baits him into a trap. Then ends up showing up. They have sex, and then he just arrests her afterward which is that part of the movie i actually kind of think is really good because it kind of establishes bond as he's kind of a dick (laughs) you know what i think is most interesting about dr no and connery's interpretation is this movie is very infested in making sure you know james bond is not a good guy he is a 007 agent he is licensed to kill He's an easygoing douchebag, essentially. Connery's affable, but he goes out of his way to be mean and indolent towards people. Yes. So yes, he does that to Miss Tarot. And in the film's most infamous scene, when the guy we were talking about earlier, Dent, tries to kill him after the spider fails, right. he tries to shoot him six times. Yeah. And Connery has set up a double in his bed after the Miss Tarot. That was the trap. He set up a double in Miss Tarot's bed to elude the trap. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, oh, yes, I, I see you have a Smith and Wesson. Well, you've had your six. Then he shoots him and he dies. And then he shoots him again. And as shot originally, he did shoot him six times. I really wish so. that we could see that footage. But I, I guess like even as a kid yeah, that'd be great. that like what doesn't really get to me is the, the first time shooting him. What gets me is when he shoots him in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> when he's on the ground yes. <laughs> that's the thing that disturbed me the most when i was a kid it's just like oh oh my god because that whole scene of the that whole part of the movie is just like oh oh my god oh my god and they got the sense of that like in the making of it because they weren't sure if they were gonna have bond let dent go or whether he was just gonna shoot him to death and so they're like well he's a double o agent literally licensed to kill and we haven't had him kill anybody yet directly. Like we've had him fight a driver 
but we haven't had him murder someone. So let's just fucking murder him. <laughs> and basically, yeah, that would have been intense just to have him get shot like a bunch of times. But we have the shot in the ass and They're that does not- the job. It's it's kind of fucked. So it's fucked up enough. Yeah. There's also a guard he knifes just so he can explain to Honey Rider that he's a double O agent. Yes. Like the producers were very concerned that people would not understand that James Bond is allowed to, to murder be a murderer people. by the British crowd. Basically. <laughs> yes. Not in self-defense. But like, like if he sees it fit, he will murder someone just to get the job done. Which uh, makes for some some great action, uh, interesting character, one of the one of the best film characters ever. But um, yeah, no, it's a uh, some some great stuff at that point. He does have some sensitivity towards Honey Rider. Apparently, Sean Connery and Ursula Andress actually were having an affair during the film. That so doesn't say. surprise me. I think she was married to John uh, to John Derrick at the time. Oh, I yeah. didn't know she was also married to John Derrick. Yeah, that's how she that got guy. the that's how she got the role because John Derrick took a couple photos of her oh. in Italy or something. She was in like a wet t-shirt, and the producers were like, "This is a honey rider." I don't know why he's smoking <laughs> a cigar like a hookah or something, but yeah, that's great. Hire her. <laughs> Honey Child Writer is her full English name. Is it Honey in Child novel, or Honey Chill? Uh, I couldn't, I, I never did. Honey Chill. Is it Honey Chill or Honey Child? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in the book, in the book, her full name is Honey Chill or Honey Child. I don't know how it's honey pronounced, C-H-I-L-E. but yeah. H-I-L-E. I know, I know that that's her full name, but yeah. I don't know how it's pronounced. No and she's supposed to be naked in the book. The she's supposed to be naked. She's not in a bikini. She is. So. She's supposed to be naked when she emerges in that iconic scene in the two-piece bathing suit. Yes. She's supposed to just have her knife belt on mm-hmm. and snorkeling gear. And in the book, she has a broken nose because in the book, there's this weird... Ian Fleming did this whole weird thing about sexual assault with her character where that that's happened a, That's her, in the movie, too. And they, it stunted her age. Wait, what? In the movie, isn't it just that Dr. No killed her dad? Isn't that just what happened during the movie? Um, I don't know if it was Dr. No killed her dad. Her dad is already dead, but like she goes into a backstory where she says that like her caretaker tr- uh tried to assault her and like that's still in the movie like where she explains yeah. that. But I didn't know about the like it stunted oh, yeah. her aging. That's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, but that's why she's like going around picking up seashells is because she's a child and she can only visualize like doing children's activities like dragons and seashells. That's supposed to be the explanation for why she believes in dragons in the book. Uh, So Ian Fleming, king of the questionable character choices. But I mean, we all know that the spy who loved me, a James Bond novel from a first person account of a, a woman who meets up with James Bond. We all know how much of a success that was. Hi, you can have the right to this movie, but please don't do anything with it. Please yeah. come up with your own story. Ian Fleming, uh, not good at writing <laughs> female characters. Not a strong suit. No. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of Honey Rider? Where would you put her in the pantheon of the Bond? Oh, easily top character. five. Okay. Uh, I like the character of the movie. Uh, her coming out of the 
ocean is like super iconic and stuff. Ursula Andress is beautiful. Like, um, she like just like in sheer iconic status alone gets her up there. And also, I like the character in the movie. Yeah, I just wish she was more vital in the final fight against Doctor No instead of just being changed to a slab that's supposed to have crabs on it, but it doesn't. Oh yeah. Like I wish she could have her revenge on Doctor No for killing her father. <laughs> But I don't right. even know if Dr. No killed her father, though. I don't think that's what happened in the movie. <laughs> Dr. No is, though, like, one of the ones I've seen the most. I feel like I could have, like, just not watched the movie because it's kind of burned into my brain at this point. It's, like, one of the few Bond movies where I pretty much know every single scene inside and out. Or I pretty much know every single scene inside and out pretty much know every single scene inside and out inside and out inside and out oh i thought you said that in the movie no her father was like dead i don't yeah because i don't think dr no killed her father if it turns out Dr. No killed your father, Jake, you have to turn in your James Bond. I do. Stand for for everybody getting mad at me. I'm going to look this up. That, like, Dr. No did kill her father. Just, uh, Honey Chill Rider needs to get her revenge. You're a fucking idiot at gmail.com. Just send that to me and I'll throw it in the trash, probably. I, because I don't think so. Like, I've seen the movie enough times where I'm like, uh, I don't think that's the case. Um, huh. I thought it did, but it does appear her Wikipedia page does not mention Dr. No killing her father. Yeah. So I am in, I will say I am incorrect. Told you. For now. But it would have but been better to establish like stakes, but it would have been weird if she didn't really get to do anything about Dr. No, Dr. No killed her father. I do admit that. <laughs> yeah. The only yeah. thing, yeah, she kind of gets relegated to, liability and damsel by the end of the movie which is kind of <laughs> it's not like tatiana romanova or pussy galore like later on where they're very active in helping out bond but we'll we'll get to those yeah. eventually um should we talk about <laughs> music should we talk about uh monty norman's uh weirdly dated score <laughs> for the most part we can talk about music now. Yeah, the Monty Norman score is so unmemorable, I have already forgotten it. That's the thing. Um, it's so dated that it, it sticks out in my brain because every single moment is like Mickey Mouse to the fucking nth degree. Like when James Bond smashes <laughs> the spider and they literally make it does the soundtrack to him smashing the spider with every snap. Like the BAM! Comes like Norman Bates for a second, <laughs> like smashing the spider, and just like, why was, why was that choice made? Other than like that's what movies at the time did. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was gonna. T I, I told you about this like a little bit ago, but like there is like a. I was watching this Q and A that Peter Hunt did, who edited the movie he made in like the like 1994 or something. 
and he talked about Monty Norman's score and he was just like, yeah, we weren't really satisfied with his, his score because it, it kind of sounded like a disaster movie and it was like too cheesy. So at the last minute, they brought in mm -hmm. John Barry, who came in and conducted the James Bond theme, which Monty Norman wrote. He took the the beat from like a musical he was working on. So he wrote that even though like, I've, I've heard like John Barry claim that he was the one responsible for the James Bond theme. I mean, he was responsible for the sound, <laughs> like the, like the guitar, the, the, the jazz instruments, like that's him. But like the, mm -hmm. the, the melody was, came from Monty Norman. And he, I mean, he was credited like for the most part like on everything, but yeah, definitely the music would get better in later movies when John Barry was brought in. But I give credit for Monty Norman for coming up with the initial thing, even though the rest of the music is just very. Yeah, it's very, it's very antiquated. And going back to the idea of Mickey mousing it, uh, I don't know if they were just so in love with the James Bond theme and it is a great theme. It's an iconic piece of music. But they use it whenever James Bond does anything. Yeah. Like he walks into his apartment to check his mail. Uh, contribution. And then walks through the lobby. Yeah. Walks I mean, to get a taxi. Oh, do you remember the part where he comes in and he checks in at the hotel and the and the hotel concierge is like, "Here's your key," and he walks away and it's playing the Bond theme and she's like checking out his ass yeah. as he's walking away. Yeah, she's like looking at his. <laughs> woman in the universe wants to have sex with james bond except money penny who does want to have sex with james bond but she knows that's dumb because he's stupid so they have a nice little five minute flirtation every movie well that's the thing is that james money penny does like the entire well in the in the beginning well in doctor no she's more like it's like flirty flirty but then it starts by the second movie I think by From Rush With Love, Goldfinger specifically is when she's like, I really want to bang James Bond. <laughs> but, um, you know, in the first one, well, she's she's very I, much like, uh, do your job, you you fucking weirdo. You, you, you Scottish man. You know what won her heart? He gave him the thing he values most, what he used to kill people. His Beretta. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird how that scene is done because that's straight out of the book, like word for word. Yeah. And it came from that 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 man, Jeffrey Boothroyd, who wrote well, like in the book, uh Bond used a Beretta for a good number for like every Bond novel before Dr. No. And Jeffrey Boothroyd, this American firearms expert who was a fan of the Bond books, wrote to Ian Fleming was like, hey, Bond wouldn't use a Beretta. That is a that's a lady's gun. That's a gun that would fit into a into a woman's handbag. He would use a Walther PPK. And so like Ian Fleming took this advice like into consideration was just like, you know what? I'm going to name the character who uh, the armorer after this uh, Boothroyd because he's the best. And he's actually given the description in the book, like the greatest armorer in the world or something like that, or arms expert. And so uh, that is how Bond got his Walter PPK and the movie. They keep that scene, even though we have no, it's actually kind of a weird development that Bond has like this like sentimental attachment to this gun. <laughs> And he tries to steal it from, uh, he's like, 
oh, yeah. I'll, I'll take the new gun, but I'm gonna I'm gonna walk out. And then 007, yes, just leave the Beretta. And then he just slowly puts it back <laughs> on the table, like he's like like he's losing, like he's giving up a child or something. He's just like, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it's it's a nice little scene. Even though it's like, it's weird because we don't really have any context as to why he loves his gun so much at that point. It's not like in the, in the books where it's just like, oh, that's just the gun he used and now he's giving it up. And this is just like, oh, it's like a weird bit of character business that we just lifted from the book and we just like. (laughs) It, uh, got it. That old scene is kind of interesting because that's the same scene where M, Bernard Lee, says they work for MI7. Yes. And another thing, since I've been head of MI7, they didn't want to make MI6 mad. But then you pointed out they say MI6 in the rest of the movie. Yes, they do. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense that like they they went out of their way to dub it and it's so obvious MI7 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 It's just like why did you do this? Like I mean if you're changing I just the... imagine I just imagine Albert Broccoli two weeks before the movie comes out saying, I hate all this dialogue. I'm gonna get my friends over here. We're just gonna redub the whole movie. We're gonna redub the whole movie. Yeah, because there's a bunch of um a lot of the dubbers come back for later installments, like the guy who plays the um, like the police chief guy, uh like dubbed a couple characters in later movies. I think he dubbed uh Oh. Tiger and you only live twice, if I'm not mistaken. Tiger, we'll get to Tiger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, and of course, before we move on, we should point out that the character of Boothroyd would evolve into Q. Yes, in, that is in true. Later film, different actor. I feel bad character. for that actor because just like I'm giving your walk-on <laughs> role, having no idea that that character would. Uh, be like the most icon one of the most iconic characters ever <laughs> the get freaking <laughs> q and right then he's just like here's your gun welfare ppk 7.65 mil with the delivery like a brick to the pipe glass window takes a brush silencer with very little reduction in muscle velocity thank you major Boothra, and that's it that's his that's his line and then in the next movie desmond lewin will make his first of uh is it 19 appearances uh the only one he wasn't yeah. in was living that die uh from then on uh, yeah. and he died and after world's not enough which we'll get to world's not enough because <laughs> the way he goes out is very Eventually. funny is very is very um tragic <laughs> well not tragic in the movie um. but like like at the end we're, or, or like one of his last scenes is just like i've always tried to teach you two things first never let them see you bleed and the second, always have an escape route. And then he like presses a button and he's being lowered into the ground. <laughs> and that's one of his last <laughs> scenes. And then he died like right after. And that was, he was supposed to appear in more after that, but it feels so much like his last, and he's literally being lowered into the grave. <laughs> his last appearance. <laughs> so, like, but we'll get to, we'll get to Worlds Not Enough when we, when we get there right now we need to get to doc we'll need to talk to dr no and how can we have a discussion about dr no without talking about dr no dr no time to die himself uh i don't know if he will be the villain in the next movie but 
Dr. No, as played by Joseph Wiseman, is like the definitive Bond villain yes. in a sense. He has all the aspects of yes. the future Bond villains already there. He's only in the last 20 minutes of the movie, except for that spider scene. Yeah, and you see act. his... Uh... You see the part when he sneaks into Bond's room and then looks at his dick and then puts the covers back. What edit were you watching? He calls James Bond a cop in the movie. It's great. Uh, uh, no, Honey Rider calls him. What are you, some kind of detective? <laughs> yeah, he's like my job doesn't have a defined position yet. Normally, I'm known as a traitorous spy, but basically. we'll call myself a secret agent. Secret agent, yeah. He's basically a a paid uh, assassin for the British government. Yes, isn't that wait? Isn't that a a line in the Jack White Alicia Keys song? Another time to die. <laughs> You're just a paid assassin for the British government. Yeah, I'm doing shooting stuff for the government, shooting a terrorist, and there's a spy, USSR, and Smurfs on your side. Just kidding, you just think that you could trust, but just another way to die. That 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 that's oh. that's wow. How did we get like a recording of that version of the song? I don't think it made it in the. And legit, but it pretty it sounds pretty good. Why wasn't it? Why wasn't it there? Full disclosure, everyone, we were able to book Jack White and Alicia Keys. They've been waiting for our podcast. They're quarantining with us right now. Jack White and Alicia Keys are in my brother's living room. They've been living on the couch for <laughs> three months. There's nowhere to go because get a job, you bum. There's nowhere to job, so they're just watching Bond movies with us. <laughs> <laughs> they um anyway back to dr no um yeah what uh, what are your thoughts on the character of dr no and joseph wiseman's performance obviously the yellow face is mild but still concerning uh dr no tellingly yeah. only has chinese and jamaican henchmen i think he has one white guy who's an engineer you see at the end otherwise most of his henchmen yeah. are people of color which is a whole coding thing with James Bond. But as to Wiseman's performance itself, I like what he brings to Dr. No. Dr. No is a man of dignity. He's a man of refinement. You get the sense, he says it, he has been rejected by both the East and the West. In the book, his hands, he has no hands. He has, he has claws. two robot hands, his claws, which in the book look like what they did in Live and Let Die with Mr. Big. I think no, 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 book, that's, that's Teehee. Teehee has the claws. Teehee. Teehee is the one with claws in Live and Let Die. Um, but in the in this movie, he does have these cool little hands. And in in the book, the tongue cut them off. But in the movie, it was because he was messed with radiation poisoning. So he joins Spectre in the movie. He brings up Spectre to Bond. Yeah. And he says, Bond, you don't get it. I'm an exceptional man. You're an exceptional man. Come and join Spectre where we can be exceptional criminal brains together. And he's like, no, you're stupid. I'm a cop. No, he has. Well, he also has one of the funniest lines that 
or like the best tongue in cheek lines, like in reaction to that, he's like, well, I was always interested in joining the revenge department. <laughs> what he's explaining, like special executive for counterintelligence, terrorism, revenge, and extortion. And he's like, well, I've always had a keen interest in the revenge department. <laughs> that's like, that's one of the funniest <laughs> lines in the really movie. Funny in this movie. Sergeant, make sure he doesn't get away. There, there's so many really good tongue in cheek lines that Connery does that only he can. They relate to their. What was it? They relate to their own funeral. No, I think they're on their way to a funeral. <laughs> um, That's when he throws some henchmen off a cliff. No, no, no. They drive but, uh, off a cliff. It's the three blind mice in the yeah. hearse, and they're trying to run them off the cliff. And then Bond uh, uses a rear screen projection to evade their to 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 escape from his uh, from being driven off the cliff. Yeah, but you know who couldn't escape his untimely fate. Doctor No. Oh, that scene at the end where him and Bond are actually going toe to toe because his big metal hand yes, he can actually use as it. like dead weight weapon, and then Bond knocks it. him into like this radioactive like drowning thing, and he, and he tries to out. like raise. Yeah, but he can't because of his metal hand. Like it's so touching almost. Like, does it? Why does it make you feel bad? Yeah. Him? Well, no. In the way it's shot, also, is just like agonizingly trying to grab hold of the, of the metal bar, and stuff. But he can't because his hands are too smooth <laughs> for the metal thing. My hands are too perfect. My hands are it's too like perfect. A- yeah. No. Um. That's a great death. Even if it's like a short live, it's a very short fight. It's a it's a good one, nevertheless, and yeah, no, um, I I Doctor No is in the top three, of my favorite Bond villains. Like Joseph Wiseman is like perfect. Yellow face aside, um, this movie also has like a couple instances where it's just like I don't understand why there's yellow face, but like besides that. Uh, he's one of the best Bond villains. He plays it with such intensity. <laughs> like he's so like just in in the zone with everything he says. And apparently like he hated the role afterward. He'd like hate how like people would bring it up to him. Go like, yeah, no, I was in like this piece of shit movie. Cause he was a stage actor. And yeah, he also did a, uh... He also played a dying eccentric whose maid is Diane Keaton on an episode of The Night Gallery, which was Rod Serling's follow-up to The Twilight Zone. Yes, but um, yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with you about Joseph Wiseman. He's 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 pretty, 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 pretty great. Pretty great. I love the the <laughs> the. It's weird how lumbering his hands are, and when he's like, he has his hands behind his back. They don't like clenched together he just kind of like holds yeah. them like dead weight and the only time you see his hands move is when he crushes the doll just when anyone gets in my way yeah but yeah that whole dinner scene elevates the movie i wish he was in more of the movie and he also dies a more dignifying death than in the book because like in the yeah in, it's in the book he gets back guano dropped on him Yep, he gets he gets crushed by batshit. Um, and like in the book, he's a lot more he's a lot more uh, Fu Manchui in the book. Yeah, and in the movie, they try to yeah. not ma- they do it like totally different. 
which is yeah. good. For the, for the good of all. Yeah. For the greater good. For the greater good. <laughs> the greater good. To quote another Bond. <laughs> I think I would agree that last third is what makes the movie special. Like, out of the Well, it's the first, the first part of the movie, the and, like, when he gets to Jamaica, the movie kind of slows down, except for... You know, like yeah. the fight scene, but then the movie picks back up. Yeah, definitely when they're in the. I think Ken Adam pretty much make is like one of the main figures to credit why we still talk about James Bond because, like, without those production designs, it probably would have been like fairly generic. Yeah, because they picked Doctor No because they felt it was in one location. Yeah, so it made it easier to adapt. Right, but like. When you see that lair, like, I can't even imagine being in, like, 1962 and seeing that lair. Because you had stuff like Forbidden Planet or the rinky-dinky Batcave mm -hmm. in the Batman serial. But that's a secret lair in Doctor No. Like, that is fully fledged. That is like a whole Everything subterranean works. world. Yeah. Like, yeah. you got, like, the safe to doors. The, point, the automatic doors that open up and shut. You got the 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 giant fish mm -hmm. <laughs> he's coming for you uh, i love at the end of the movie after he killed dr no he's trying to find honey rider and james bond like it's like the ending of space falls almost the it is. is going to blow up and all the employees <laughs> of the lair are like running and james space bond is like running balls. to someone's secretary and he's like where's honey rider and she's like, he's in the other room. And he goes, okay. And then he walk, runs into that room, finds one guard, punches him. Yeah. After talking like calmly to everyone from the lair. Uh huh. <laughs> and, it's like, and then he frees her from being drowned slowly to death. Or, yeah. Like, well, her fate was supposed to be with crabs, but all the crabs died before they got to set. Because <laughs> that was in the book, was that she was supposed to be pinned pinched to death by crabs but then uh yeah they tried to do that and all the crabs were dead when they flew them to uh, london <laughs> for for the shoot which is kind of funny um but or i don't know that they were dead but they said that they were like frozen and they just couldn't move and they looked like i heard they were dead frozen i've also heard that they didn't look scary on screen like they didn't look intimidating mm -hmm. but if you read the book, apparently the way Honey Rider got free in the book was, yeah, he tried to kill me with honey crabs. They're not intimidating. So even in the book, <laughs> the idea was they would be an ineffectual death trap, I think, from what I've heard. Uh, going back to a point I made at the beginning of the podcast, what I, no one talks about with Dr. No is mm. when James Bond is crawling through the air vents in Dr. Ah. No's base after he's been captured. He has been roughed up. His t-shirt is torn and he's crawling through vents. When he gets out of the vent, he has a red mark on his chest and he looks just like John McClane in Die Hard. Watch Dr. No again if you haven't. <laughs> Sean Connery with his torn t-shirt. Oh, and he's and barefoot face, because he has the slippers too. He does have the slippers too. So, <laughs> yeah, he was bare, barefoot, t-shirt, bloody, uh receding hairline and everything it, <laughs> it's it, they're, they're the same fighting a, fighting a villain who's pretending to be a different nationality than he actually is 
That is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Freaking John McTiernan, you hack. Whoever directed Die Hard should be in jail. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know the full story of that case. I'm not here to say if John McTiernan actually deserved to go to jail or not. Oh, but he did. He, he went to jail. From all from from what I've heard, he he didn't oh, need to. He's out now. He's free now. He is out now. But poor, poor, poor uh, John McTiernan. But yeah, anyway, it seems a little excessive. Imagine if uh, Terrence Young got arrested. Oh, is he still alive? No, he's dead. <laughs> he's been dead for at least thirty years. <laughs> they go to arrest Terrence Young. Always have an escape route. He lowers himself back into the grave. That's like he died years ago. Damn it! How did he get away? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! They actually. <laughs> Going back to Terrence Young, one of the good things that he did was that he got uh, he taught Sean Connery how to act like like a sophisticated gentleman and stuff. Like uh, he took him oh. to Savile Row to get a, his suit uh, tailored for him. Uh, he, he like made him like sleep in his suit like the first night he got it, <laughs> so that he would be like super comfortable. <laughs> And yeah, told him like what drinks to order, what meals to get, you know, how to walk and stuff. Cause like Sean Connery was just, you know, like a Scottish truck driver that turned into a, a, a weightlifter and an actor. <laughs> so he was very, he was very, <laughs> and, an idol of millions. and Ian Fleming wasn't very happy with his casting at first because he, no, he wasn't. He's like he's like Scott. the antithesis of like of the proper British Hoagie Carmichael man that Ian Fleming imagined, mm -hmm. and this guy was like more badass, and I think he didn't like that. And Scottish, though he ended up making Bond Scottish later on, and he ended up liking John Connery's yeah, performance. In tribute to Connery and acknowledging that connery basically made the character the icon that he is i think Sean connery said ian fleming was kind of a dick i don't remember don't quote me on that but i think i remember hearing something like the vibe i've got from ian fleming's writing and his dealings with kevin mcclory is that yes ian fleming kind of a was dick. kind of a dick <laughs> he created one of the <laughs> one of the greatest characters in 20th century literature and film but kind of an asshole <laughs> to put it mildly you know you know his cousin his cousin christopher lee yes. was supposed to play dr no they did offer it to they did offer the role to him noel coward was supposed to do it too yes and he answered it with a telegram yes. that said dr no Colin, no 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh Let's talk about the gun barrel and opening scene. We haven't got a chance to talk about that. We got our first Bond opening scene. We have a debate. Me and Jake have had this debate for yes. years over whether or not three blind mice count as a Bond theme. No. I am adamant that it does. No, no, yes. no, to quote Noel Coward. <laughs> it's, of <laughs> course not. dancing silhouettes silhouettes with lyrics at the beginning of the movie no it is the james bond theme which i don't want to count because that's not fair to 
the rest the rest of the songs because none of them are the james bond theme but like it's the james bond it's weird radioactive beeping james bond theme uh random <laughs> calypso music and then three blind mice and i don't count that no no i count three blind doctor mice. no it's like julius you got the gun barrel music no. that goes on for a little bit and then you have the bond song of the Calypso wild dancing like this this opening sequence is like some weird combination of 2001 and like the 2002 Scooby Doo <laughs> like um I like the gun barrel I actually like Bob Simmons because it's not Sean Connery in the uh, as James Bond in the gun barrel it's a stunt double because they couldn't get Connery no. And they had like a pinhole camera and they shot it through a gun. I think like a, like an airsoft gun or, or no, like a BB gun or something. And, um, and Bond has his hat, which is a staple up until live and let die. Yeah. Which actually, can we take, can we detour a little bit and talk about James Bond's hat and how I like James Bond wearing a hat. <laughs> James Bond's hat is so weird. Especially when it's Bob Simmons wearing the hat. Because he looks like a little British man. He looks like John Steed uh-huh. from the Avengers a couple of years later. Yeah. And then when Connery wears the hat, the few times he did the gun barrel, it looks weird. Yeah, no, because the little, way... like, tut, tut, The little hat, yeah. But I like Bob Simmons' performance more so than Sean Connery's performance in the gun barrel. That's how nerdy I am. I'm talking about the gun barrel performance now. <laughs> Like Bob Simmons, the way he, I, I like how he's completely silhouetted, how you can't tell who the fuck he is. I like, because it looks kind of creepy and weird, I guess, like in that first thing. Like, I can't imagine like what people mm-hmm. like felt like when they first saw that. They're just like, what the hell is this? And then it just goes into the. It's such a great visual yeah. of like a man through a gun hole and then shoots, shoots and the blood and comes down bleeding. like it's a great way to open yeah. up like a, it's like a good series tradition that they decided to fuck up in the craig era <laughs> that not one actually except for casino royale they did it they they did a good subversion of that in casino royale but everything else is crap the way they did the gun barrel yeah it's it's one of those old school like motifs that new movies like star wars movies don't even like to do the opening crawl anymore except for the episodes and it's like no it's an important part it it communicates the tone of the series yeah but they're trying but but troy that's supposed to be it's supposed to be a a dark serious movie about uh, a space war I thought Solo was supposed to be a lighthearted heist film about a space war. No. And now there's no, suicide it, bombers. They have to be serious. Oh. Oh, movies. Uh, but what a what a time to be alive. There are no movies. One more thing, I did want to I did want to point out about the cultural legacy of Doctor No. In Doctor No's lair, his henchmen all wear radioactive suits yes. that are gray, and they have a little speaker thing yes now if you're an old school marvel comics fan you'll recognize those gray outfits as being what the henchmen for the terrorist organization aim oh uh advanced idea mechanics Mm -hmm. in iron man and captain america 
they were the yellow suits versions of that. They're called the beekeepers. And it looks just like Dr. No. And I'm like, Jack Kirby, you thief? You <laughs> stole this from Dr. No. I know it because I watched it. I know it. You hack, Jack Kirby. You hack, you ripping fraud. off, ripping off, Doctor No, the, 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 the first film in the Bond series. You piece of shit. Fuck you. Anyway, I was very angry. In, in Iron Man three, they did not keep the AIM suits when guy when Aldrich Killian said he was the leader of AIM. I'm like, put him in the beekeeper outfit. Anyway. What, now he's the Mandarin? Now he's Dr. No? How did this happen? Oh, weird segue. I found out, found out yesterday, I didn't watch the James Bond Jr. series, but Dr. No reappears in that, and he looks like the Mandarin. He has, like, glowing green yeah. skin because he was radioactive because <laughs> he got lowered into the radioactive water at the end of the movie, I guess. <laughs> so, like, now he's, like, glowing radioactive, and he looks like the Mandarin. <laughs> Mr. Bond, you failed to kill me. You have only made me more of a racist terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's what radioactivity will do to you. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the opening scene. Uh, Troy, you're wrong. It's, I don't count it. James Bond theme, but it doesn't count. What do you think of Underneath the Mango Tree? Would you turn that on on your... On your on your Spotify. I love underneath the mango tree. It's a return to form for Sean Connery. He's a delightful singer. He brings such a buoyancy to it. Underneath the mango tree, my honey and she's my dear, my darling, my smile and I think I'm the mango tree. Who's that? My ears will never be the same again. I loved all the legally shortened versions of those songs we could use while still doing fair use. Shall we? Uh, <laughs> shall we wrap up? What are What are our final thoughts on Doctor No? Uh, Letterbox ratings. Uh, do you want to go first, Jake, or me? You can go first. All right. Uh, yeah, my final thoughts on Doctor No. You can read them on Letterbox. But my final thoughts on Doctor No after watching it twice. It's an above average film. It is a good, solid spy thriller that is elevated by the performances of Bond, uh, the performance of Connery and Wiseman, and that awesome secret lair uh, finale, and all the little iconic touches you get to see for the first time. I give it three and a half out of five stars, but a high three and a half. Ooh, that's good. And yeah, I would give it like four. I might have given it a five but it's probably more like a four if i'm being totally honest uh one of my favorite bond movies in my top 10 uh yeah it's a little uh they're getting it's the start of the formula but there's a lot there to like including connery and joseph wiseman and the theme and you know and ken adam so uh definitely check it out um if you if you if you get the chance if amazon decides to put them back on Please, please watch it. If you've already seen it, watch it again. It's a good time. It's really fast and quick and it's good. And it'll more, 
better movies will come. Uh, it is. I would say it's my. I'm going to be bold here. It's my second favorite Connery Bond Ooh. of the broccoli Connery Bond. So That's... I. It is one of my top five Bonds, and I would recommend it, even if you are not a Bond fan. Yes, so to speak, it'll give you a good taste of of the series. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good. Uh starting out point it's a pretty well-formed prototype of a bond movie so um definitely check it out and yeah and that's it for this week of you'll only listen twice we hope that you'll listen to it for a third time when we get to talking about what is considered to be the best sean connery bond movie but i think both troy and i disagree with that statement but we still like it i think yeah um (laughs) But we'll. I I need to revisit it. Yes. I need to rewatch it again. I I really like Marshall Love, but we'll we'll get into more details uh, on the next episode of You'll Only Listen Twice. I'm Jake. I'm Troy. Mission accomplished. Bim bim. Doctor No. Doctor No. Doctor No. Some people will go to any extremes for a little privacy. 